power of our thoughts. So what kind of month has it been for you since that first lesson? (laughs) If it's been anything like mine, it's been filled with challenges and problems and a flurry of activities and deadlines. But many times, even when we look back over the past week, we see so much that can cause stress and anxiety. We juggle challenging careers. Uh, We have worrisome health issues. We have exhausting family demands uh, from tending husbands to corralling kids to refereeing sibling disagreements to helping aging parents. And sometimes we want to hang a sign over us that says, out of my mind, be back in five minutes. (laughs) And mind is a strong word, isn't it? That's because your mind is your thought life. It's your personality. It's your intellect. It's your emotions. And it's your will. And your thought life is an expression of your life. And God knows we need help with our thoughts, and so we have been given the mind of Christ. And there was a change that took place in you when you accepted Christ as your Savior. He gave you his power to think the way he thinks. And we can't possibly think all of God's thoughts because his thoughts are higher than ours. But we can have the mind of Christ. We have been promised that in 1 Corinthians 2.16. So would you let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, so that you can think things that are true, true about God, true about others, and true about yourself, and true things about what God thinks about you. Tonight's message has that title, What God Thinks About Us. And the message, as you notice, comes with a subtitle, Too Wonderful for Me. This message is a journey into the heart of God. And even though God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, they reach down to our very soul. God thinks about us in ways we cannot imagine nor figure out. And his thoughts always come to us wrapped in his love for us. Can you keep that in mind tonight when I give the message? His thoughts of you always come wrapped in his love for you. God cares about your inner life. That's the real you. And we put tremendous emphasis on the outer person. But the true person is a person within. It's referred to in the scripture as a hidden person of the heart. I love that expression. God's thoughts of us are directed to your heart. Now, we concern ourselves too often about what other people think about us. What does my dad think about me? What does my mom think about me? My husband, my relatives, my supervisor, my teacher, my friends, my pastor. But what does God think about me? And David had an answer to that question, and it's in Psalm 139. God thinks the world of you. (laughs) And you can base your image on what God says, no matter what other people say about you or no matter what you have done. 
Psalm 139 is a psalm of praise of God written by David. And you can take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 139. Uh, This is one of David's famous psalms. It's a beautiful song of God that reveals God's greatness. And if you can remember, the psalms were the hymnal of the people of God. So as such, this psalm appears like a hymn. And if you notice the greeting at the top of the psalm, it is to the chief musician. The psalm consists of four different stanzas of six verses each, each governed by its own theme, and it's arranged just like a hymn. Each stanza represents one of God's attributes or character, and it shows how each one of God's attributes intersperse with our lives. Now, any small thoughts you might have of God is really transcended after you've read Psalm 139. Too often, we make God small in our thinking. We think that he cannot handle our problems and our situation and our circumstance. And after you read Psalm 139, it dispels that myth. God is always looking out for you. After my study of Psalm 139 and and my writing the message, I just could not wait to get here to share this with you. How much God thinks about you all the time, how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, you are so incredibly important to him. Now, you'll notice when we read this psalm, that's a very personal psalm from first to last. There are only 24 verses in this psalm, But 49 times the pronouns I, me, and my appear. Now, I chose to read this psalm tonight from the Tree of Life version of the Bible. And the Tree of Life version of the Bible has a more decisively Jewish-friendly tone or voice to it, just like David's himself. So you can follow along in your Bible, and I'll read in mine, and we're going to begin with the title, For the Music Director, A Psalm of David. Adonai, you searched me and know me. Whenever I sit down or stand up, you know it. You discern my thinking from afar. You observe my journeying and my resting, and you are familiar with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Adonai, You know all about it. You hemmed me in behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your ruach? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, look, you are there too. If I take the wings of the dawn and settle on the other side of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely darkness covers me, night keeps light at a distance from me, even darkness is not dark for you, and night is as bright as day, darkness and light are alike. For you have created my conscience, you knit me together in my mother's womb, I praise you, For I am awesomely, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows that very well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was unformed. And in your book were written the days that were formed, when not one of them had come to be. How precious are your thoughts, O God! How great is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloody men, for they speak about you with wicked intent. Your enemies reproach you in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, Adonai? Do I not loathe those who rise against you? I hate them with total hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any offensive way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your precious word. And in your word, Father, you have revealed your thoughts of us. I'm so amazed and stand in reverence and awe, Father, of the fact that I can have a relationship with you and you care about me to the very depths of my soul. I pray, Father, tonight as we study Psalm 139, it would touch our hearts and lives and we would realize we're safe and secure in you and that you care for us and you love us with an everlasting love. For I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, did you notice when we began the psalm, it began with God's omniscience. The all-seeing, all-knowing God. That is stanza 1, verses 1 through 6 in that section of the psalm. And so God's knowledge of us is where David begins the psalm. And in the first six verses that I read, there were 13 personal pronouns, which means God knows us personally and individually. And did you notice how David addressed the psalm, how he addressed God as he began the psalm? He said, O Lord, and the Hebrew word was O Adonai, and that's the personal name of God. And David had a relationship with God that allowed him to address God in this manner. But so do we. So do we. We come to our Father and we say, Abba, Father. We say, we recognize that that's a term of endearment. And in fact, Abba, Father means Papa. The instant we were born into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ, God adopted us. And God became our legitimate father, and we are his legitimate daughter or son. And the spirit itself bears witness of our spirit that we are the children of God. So you realize that God is your father by the Holy Spirit, and this is your position in Christ. So when you pray to God, you are not just praying merely to the creator of the universe, to the one who laid the foundations of the earth and who keeps the planets in their heaven. You are praying to the Heavenly Father who loves you, with whom you have a personal relationship. And our dear Papa has searched us, according to what we see here from David. And he's saying, God, you know everything about me. You have searched my heart. And to be honest, ladies, I don't even know my own heart quite often. But God does, and he knows it intimately, intimately, 
And I'm so thankful that I have a God who loves me and who knows me. He loves me and knows me on my best days. And he loves me and knows me on my worst days. God's love for me never changes. And the one who knows me the best loves me the most. And we saw in verse 2 that God knows our thinking from afar. God anticipates our thoughts and purposes before they are even matured in our mind. That is amazing, isn't it? Before we've even thought the thought, he knows what we're going to think. And that thought has no surprise, comes as no surprise to our Heavenly Father. Nothing is missed by him. He knows our motives as well as our actions. Now, it's interesting because the word of God judges the thoughts and intents of our heart. We know that from the book of Hebrews. The intents means the motivations of our heart. But it's God himself who is the one who reads our thoughts. And this should never be frightening to us. Because again, you're going to keep hearing me say this throughout this message. All of his thoughts toward us come wrapped in his love for us because we are his child. And according to what I just read, God knows every move I make. (laughs) That's amazing. God knows when I sit down and when I rise up and whenever I stand. Now, on any given day, uh, we are often unconscious of our movements, unless you have an eye watch like I do, which tells me, time to stand, (laughs) Or it tells me, breathe. (laughs) Or it tells me the number of exercise minutes I've had in a given day. And on the next day, my watch tells me, you didn't reach your exercise goal for yesterday, but today is a new day. My watch can be very annoying. (laughs) But God knows us so well that nothing is missed by him. He knows the time I get up in the morning to the time I go to bed. God misses nothing of my day. He knows my inside and he knows my outside. He knows my fears and he knows my failures. He knows my hurts and he knows my pains. He knows my struggles and he knows my anxieties, just as he does yours. And because God knows us so well, he knows how to heal our broken heart. He can detect the secret source of our sorrows and he can cure it. And he can apply his healing balm to it because he is the great physician of our broken heart. And if that were not enough, he knows all my ways. And I want to emphasize the word all there. He knows all my ways. God even knows my active life, a whole day's activities. And he knows the thoughts which chase each other in my sleep at night. And this brings me great comfort because I have found it more difficult to sleep at night. (laughs) I never used to have that problem, but I seem to have it now. I don't know, maybe it's my age. I I don't want to admit that. Or or maybe it's I have too much on my mind (laughs) and my mind is racing. Do you ever find yourself at 3 a.m. in your 10 o'clock meeting in the morning? Your thoughts are already at the meeting before you even get there. But God knows even our thoughts while we sleep. 
That brings me great comfort. Even when I am not sleeping and can't sleep at night, I think, God, you know my thoughts. And it's a wonderful time for me to actually talk to the Lord at that time because I know he's with me and he knows what I'm thinking. And God even knows those thoughts we have forgotten. Now, considering how often we forget, that's very kind of God. Are you finding yourself more forgetful lately? I guess I'm admitting things now to you because you're my dear sisters in Christ, but uh, that happens. <laughs> uh, you know you're getting old when you make mental notes to yourself and then you forget where you put them. Or as this patient who went to her doctor and she said, Doctor, I have a serious problem. I can't remember anything. And then the doctor says, Well, when did you start noticing this problem? And she replies, What problem? <laughs> Well, everyone forgets things at times. And many people have difficulty remembering names. Do you have that problem? Uh, I have been a teacher for over, oh my goodness, 35 years, I guess it is. And quite often I'll find myself in a grocery store or some other public place, and a former student from way back comes up to me and goes, Hi, Mrs. Helen, how are you? And I'm thinking, what is her name? So we can have a tendency to forget. And again, it it could be, again, I'll admit it, the passing of years perhaps, or experiences tend to blur names and faces together over time. And I really prefer to refer to my forgetting as mental overload. But you call it what you may. (laughs) And sometimes we forget promises that we've made to one another. I think that one of the reasons today's marriages are in such sad shape is because the husband or wife or both forget their promises made to each other. When I go to a wedding ceremony and I listen to a couple repeat their marriage vows, I cannot help but wonder if they mean to keep those promises when times get tough, because times will get tough. And will they remember that they promised one another to love, honor, and cherish one another for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health? I pray that they will. But God never forgets his promises to us. We can forget all kinds of little things, don't we? We can forget to say, thank you. We can forget to say, I love you a lot. We can forget that sometimes a compassionate word or action to someone speaks volumes, that we can share the love of Christ to someone else by whatever we might say or whatever we might do. We forget. Everyone forgets, and that's just human. But God does not forget. He even remembers lilies and sparrows, and God does not forget our prayers either. And God does not forget your name. He counts all the stars in the galaxies, and each one of those stars has a name, and he doesn't forget that name. So if he remembers the stars' names, he certainly remembers yours. Now, Sad to say, people will forget my name 100 years from now. (laughs) 
Even my great-great-grandchildren won't remember my name. I might not even be a passing thought to them. But God will not forget my name. It's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, never to be blotted out. Yes, God never forgets. However, God forgets the one thing people want most forgotten, their sins. In Psalm 103.12, it reads, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. Now, those measurements there are the largest measurements which imagination can conceive. But they are all too small to describe the impossibility of forgiveness of our sins. God forgets our sins not because he has so many things to do, but because he wants to. And the message of God's redeeming love is that both God is able to forgive and forget our sins. When is God able to forgive our sins? When people let him. Forgiveness was possible and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who gave up his life to make God's forgiveness possible. The moment a person says yes to the salvation in Christ, she becomes a child of God. And the moment she recognizes she is a sinner in need of a Savior and cannot save herself and trusts in Christ's finished work on the cross for her, heaven is now her home, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And God takes people just as they are and he forgives their sins because they have trusted in the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, who is their sin bearer. So it's in Christ we have redemption through his blood. And notice this next part, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 7. God the Father sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross at Calvary, shed his blood, make his soul an offering for your sin and mine, and he arose again the third day to give you eternal life. And your value to God is seen through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. God proved his love for you at Calvary. And so you develop your self-worth, if you will, based upon what God thinks about you in Christ. That is so lovely that God looks at you as he looks at his very own son, Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? To the person who asks the question, how can I possibly have a relationship with God? He is so big, he's so high, he is so mighty. The answer comes back because God forgives. There's no life-changing relationship with him apart from the forgiveness of your sins. So the human predicament is serious and only God can do something about it. And that's what the cross does. It is a saving act of God, not only for our eternal salvation, but for our day-to-day living because, ladies, there is power in the gospel. There is power in the gospel for our first tense salvation and there's power in the gospel for our second tense salvation for our day-to-day living. We tend to forget that. 
And the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ is a central relationship of your life. Or at least it should be. Because no one knows you the way that God knows you. No one loves you the way that God loves you. No one cares for you the way that God cares for you. As he always has and he always will. And what is so beautiful about Psalm 139 is what it says is true about God and his thoughts for you is the same as true of the Lord Jesus Christ and his thoughts for you. For the Lord Jesus Christ is a manifestation of God for us. And I can speak from experience, having been saved for a number of years. The Lord Jesus Christ can do for you what no one else can do for you. He can put together the broken pieces of your life, and he not only heals broken hearts, but he also heals broken relationships. If we let him. I've heard people say, I would love to begin the Christian life all over again with my present tense knowledge. Well, dear believer, God does not want you to think that way. God wants you to forget those things which are behind and to press forward to those things that he has before you today and the days to come. God is a God of grace. He's a God of loving kindness And as a believer in Jesus Christ, every moment, God sees my sin as if it were the first time I had ever committed it. This is amazing stuff, ladies. He does not remember my last sin. It is forgiven and it's forgotten. And yes, we do reap what we sow. But in his grace, he helps us with that too. Because he loves us. So why would you continue to bring up what God has already dumped forever? He comes to you through the Holy Spirit with all of his grace and his love for you. No one ever loves you like he does, and he wants to pick you up and move you on in his loving kindness. For no one ever cared for me like Jesus. There is no other friend as kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. And as you look at verse 4 of Psalm 139, you notice this about God and his thoughts toward you. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Adonai, you know all about me. Father, you know when I've said kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, loving words to others, And you know when I blurted out things that should never have been said. My words are no surprise to you, Father. You knew in advance. But in your grace, you've made a provision for me. And I can confess my sins because you're faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you. Because God in Christ forgives you. And then look at verse 5. You hedged me behind and before. So the all-knowing God is also the all-present God. Ladies, we are God-encompassed, if I can say that. We're encompassed behind, that none may attack us in the rear. We're encompassed before, that God may search out the way and meet our enemies, our foes. God's omniscience goes into our future. 
and he anticipates what will happen to us. So he's protecting us before we even get there. And this isn't threatening to us. This isn't frightening to us. This isn't worrisome to us because here's the wonderful part too. He goes with us. So we're protected behind, we're protected before, and we're protected around by his very presence. So I can say, Carol, God is in control. Now, I don't have to be in control of every detail. No, you don't. See, that's my tendency right there. I like to control too often. And the tendency sometimes is to control, try to control circumstances. That doesn't work very well, but we try, don't we, ladies? And we also try to control people. Let's be honest. Sometimes we like to control the people in our life. We want things to work out so well because we do care about the people in our lives. We care about them greatly, and so we want to protect them and help them and guide them, and, and we get all worked up about it when it's not going quite the way we had hoped it would. So this is very good for me to know, Father, that you hedge me from behind, before, around, and your presence is ever with me. It's just I'm coming to this conclusion as it, David Such knowledge of this is too wonderful for me. And look at, we're only on verse (laughs) 6. He's already reached this conclusion. He goes, this is just so much, Father, of how much you care for me and protect me and love me. It's just too wonderful for me to even comprehend. Your love for me is beyond my understanding. Now, I need someone to understand me and love me like this. I need someone who knows who I am, how I tick, and how I'm wired in the way that I'm wired and loves me just as I am. Uh, God knows me better than anyone else. Now, sometimes my husband, Barry, will say this to me, Carol, (laughs) I can read you like a book. And I always take a step back and think, what does he mean by that? (laughs) Okay, Barry, Barry can read me like a book, but God knows all of the lines and the details behind the story of that book. And God knows my limitations as well, and he knows my challenges. And he knows what you're good at, and he knows what you're not good at. That's wonderful to think about. Now, throughout my years of teaching composition, invariably, I have students each semester who come to me and say, I'm not good at writing. Well, what are you good at? I ask. And they'll respond in this manner. Well, I'm good at math. I'm good at mechanics, I'm good at art, I'm good at building things, I'm good at sports. Well, that's great, I'll say to the student. Remember this, you can't be good at everything, but I can help you to become a better writer if you work with me and if you trust me to help you become a better writer. Moses had a similar story. When God was ready to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land, uh, God told Moses, Behold, I will send you. And Moses' reaction was, I have to speak before Pharaoh and all the people in the court of Pharaoh. And then, of course, the Israelites as well. I'm not good at public speaking. I'm not eloquent, he said. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now here Moses was making the mistake of looking at himself instead of looking to God. And so often we make the same mistake. I recall many years ago when I had a Moses moment. 
Uh, Pastor Racky approached me and asked me if I would give a message at a women's Bible study. And I responded immediately, oh no, I don't think I can do that. Now I was thinking of this. I was a teacher uh, of junior high and senior high students at a Christian school. But I had never taught women from the Word of God, the Bible. I wasn't going to teach the Bible to women who probably knew more Bible than I did. So Pastor Racky looks at me and he says, do you think I'd ask you to speak if I didn't think you could do it? (laughs) I was clothing my unbelief, perhaps even my pride, in a hollow confession of humility and weakness. And Pastor gently reminded me that the humble servant of God doesn't think of herself at all, but of God's power and glory at work in her life. She does not think of her own inadequacy. She thinks of God's sufficiency. For we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything of being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. So the God who is able to use the gifts and abilities he's given you will accomplish the tasks he assigns to you. All he asks of us is to trust him and allow his spirit to be at work in our lives. So it's foolish to try to argue, I can't do it. (laughs) I'm not able. But to remind ourselves, wait a minute. God is able to carry me through. And God knows us better than we know ourselves, so we must trust him no matter where he leads us. Now, I love this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Pastor Gus went over this verse. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. God has called you to various things, ladies. Some of you are called to be wives. Some of you are called to be mothers. Some of you are called to be a career woman. Some of you are called to um, play the piano. Some are called to lead music. Some of you are called to lead the kitchen ministry or the nursery help. Some people are called to be missionaries, and some are called to be pastor's wives. Whatever God has called you to do, you are able to do it. So he knows what you're good at. He knows what you're not good at. And whatever it is, God is there to help you and see you through. It is just a matter, just like what I said to my students, it's a matter of your trusting. So God knows you intimately, and he wants you to get to know him. Now we move on to stanza two, and we see God's omnipresence the all-present God, and that's in verses 7 through 12. So we saw what our omniscient God thinks about us. But what does our omnipresent God think of us? So David raises three questions. Where, two questions, excuse me. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Interesting. David gave hypothetical examples of where he might go to hide from God. If I go to the heaven, he said, you are there. And if I make my bed in hell or Sheol, look, you are there too. And God concludes that no matter how far he may travel, or excuse me, David concludes that no how far he may travel, he can never get away from God. Now, I know we have military people stationed overseas, or they're stationed stateside. We have students from our church who are living far away from home, living in dorms or apartments, 
And I hope that they remember that God is with them. God is here, and he is with me. And God loves to be near us. He not only loves to be near us in his presence, but he also loves to be near us in his relational presence. And that is why we are so benefited that Christ is in us, which is the hope of glory. So no matter where we go, and even if we're totally alone, we're not totally alone. For God is with us. He's with us in his presence, and he's with us also in his relational presence. We are covered. We are protected. We are um, taken care of in such an intimate, loving fashion. And we also saw in verse 9 that if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Interesting phrase there, the wings of the morning. And that's been referred to as the great span of heavens from one horizon to the other. So what David is saying is neither change of hemisphere nor distance can alter our closeness to our ever-present God. And he said, even your right hand shall hold me. David appreciates that that long arm of God is moved by love alone toward David. And he says, I know that you hold me by what hand? By the right hand, the hand of authority and the hand of power and the hand of might. And I say, Father, I know who holds the future, and I know you hold my hand. That's an interesting statement. You know, when you're young, didn't you like to hold the hand of your mom or your dad or some other loving uh, individual? It's interesting when I teach uh, Bible school and uh, teach four-year-olds, what do they always quite like to do? They like to hold the hand of the teacher, don't they? like to grab a hold of that hand. And when you grab a hold of the hand of the child, the child feels secure. So children vie for the fact, who can hold the teacher's hand? Because that's a privileged position. And what David is saying, I can hold your hand. You hold me by my hand. Your right hand shall hold me. And he also says, in verses 11 through 12, the darkness shall not hide me from you. We are moving closer and closer to daylight savings time when the darkness will envelop more of the day than it has before. And as darkness envelops the day, remind yourself that it means nothing to God. Darkness is light to God. Darkness does hide things from God's sight as it does from our eyes. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, it says in 1 John 1.5. Are you in a dark place right now? Does your situation seem absolutely hopeless and absolutely dark? If so, welcome the Lord Jesus Christ in, for he is the light of your life. He is the light of the world. And you can look through that darkness, that dark place, and you can see him. He's always there for you. He's thinking of you with loving thoughts. His relational presence fills you. So can you look through the darkness of your situation and can you see him with the eye of faith? So if you feel lonely or gloomy or afraid, 
allow the Lord Jesus to bring his light to your life. And that's why I encourage you women to have a daily appointment with God. A time when you open up your Bible and you read the word of God and you bask in the presence of the Lord and you allow the word of God to soothe you and comfort you and guide you and settle you. And spend time with the Lord in prayer. He likes nothing best than when we talk to him. Again, I mentioned this. This is a relationship that we have with him. He talks to us through his word, through the Holy Spirit who takes that word and applies it to our heart and mind. And we, in turn, talk to him. And you might say, well, what is prayer all about? Prayer is coming before the presence of God and talking to him, just as you talk to a loving Heavenly Father. So grab that cup of tea or coffee in the morning or at night, whenever you choose, and allow God to speak to you through his word. That time opens up those gloomy places and sheds the light into your life. It allows you to pick up and move forward for him. I have found throughout the years that this is my most precious time of day when I spend it with the Lord in prayer and in his word. It dispels the darkness of our circumstances. Well, as we move to the next section of this psalm, we're in stanza 3, and we're in verses 13 through 18, and this section is about God's omnipotence, the all-creative, all-powerful God. And look how this verse begins. It begins with that conjunction for, and that for there explains why I do not need to be afraid of the dark places in my life. For you knit me in my mother's womb. That is a very interesting description, isn't it? That's a very interesting verb there. You knit me in my mother's womb. Since God created you, he knows you intimately and he's always with you. And God formed you, your inside and your outside, And he knit you like a weaver, if you will, in your mother's womb. So every one of us is a miracle. God loves us even in the womb. The unborn child is precious in his sight. He knew all about you before you were even born, before you were even formed in the womb. Is that not a comforting thought? And we are the creative genius of God. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Some medical students have come to this realization that we are the creative genius of God and that we are wonderfully made and we are made in God's image. There is no one in the universe like you. You are unique. Each of us has that genetic structure that God wanted us to have. You are his unique creation. And here's another wonderful thing. He has a unique plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. Your purpose is different than my purpose. No more, no less. They're all important to God. But he has created us with a purpose in mind. And in fact, in verse 16, it says... God fashioned each day for you. Wow. 
every single day of my life, Father, you had fashioned and planned it for me? Yes. And I recorded each day in my book. And I scheduled it. That reminds me of what God said to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. God sanctified or set apart Jeremiah even before he was born. He had a purpose for Jeremiah's life, just like he has a purpose for your life. And this means that Jeremiah was set apart by the Lord even before he knew the Lord in a personal way. And God does the same for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, excuse me, 2.10, For we are his workmanship, notice this next phrase, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So before we even born, God had a plan for your life, had a purpose for your life. We are God's masterpiece. And you have been set apart for a unique place, a unique service, if you will, of your life. Does that not excite you? Does that not motivate? Does not put a spring in your step, even on the days that seem gloomy and difficult? You are of great value to God. Which leads us to say, as David did, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. And precious in that verse means valuable. God's thoughts toward us are valuable. His thoughts toward us are tailor-made, and that makes them precious to me. I hope you feel the same way. God's thoughts are not just mere thoughts, though they are wrapped in his love for you, in his purpose for you, in his care for you. And then... David writes, and great is the sum of them. Sum in this verse is actually in the plural, which means that his thoughts of you just keep on growing. God desires to do great things in your life. And then David says in verse 18, I cannot imagine how many times you think about me. Now hold on to this one. This can blow your mind. The number of times he thinks about you is greater than the grains of sand and all the beaches and shorelines of the seas, oceans, and world. And that is just while I'm sleeping, by the way, according to this verse. He works out his plans for you even while you sleep. And then when you awaken, God is still with you, thinking about you. That is amazing. Thank you, Father. Thank you for how much love you have for me. And then we begin the fourth stanza, verses 19 through 22. And did you notice when I read the portion that there was a shift? Did you notice that the tone of the psalm changed? Did you notice the language of the psalm changed? Were you uh, thrown by that? Uh, Some people are thrown by this section. Because here David turns his attention to his present situation. And his enemies were attacking him. And these enemies were hostile to God, as well as to David. And they were using the Lord's name for an evil purpose. So in loyalty to God, 
David affirms his rejection of those who hated God. There were people in David's life who were causing him trouble. They were bringing David a great deal of anxiety. And David is saying, deal with him, God. Help me because I'm anxious about this, these things. I'm anxious about these people. Do you have people in your life causing you anxiety? Oh, there are people in our lives who can malign us, who can misrepresent us, who can spread rumors about us or whatever it is. And we have these people who come against us at times. And we may ask, Father, why do you allow this person to cause me so much trouble? It just doesn't seem to end. And maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's someone in the church. Uh, perhaps it's a friend. It could be a, your husband. Or even it could be a relative. As this rhyme says, those to whom I can't relate, I'm proud to say are few, but I wonder why it is that they are those I'm related to. So yes, people can cause us trouble. And remember in lesson one, uh, I took us into Ephesians 6, and I talked about the spiritual armor that we can put on daily by faith to protect us against the wiles of the devil. And in that lesson, I said this, Satan is the real enemy, not the person causing you trouble. For the Bible says the battle is not against flesh and blood. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we wrestle against Satan who uses flesh and blood to get us down, to discourage us so that we would quit and we would lose heart in the Lord. And so when we are discouraged, what do we do? We take off our spiritual armor piece by piece. And then we get to that helmet of salvation, which protects our mind. And we take that off. It protects our mind from harmful, discouraging thoughts, but we put that down. And then we put down the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we decide not to read our Bibles. And then we have ourselves open and pray to discouragement, where our eyes now are not focused on the Lord and gazing upon His goodness and His beauty and His thoughts for us. Our eyes now are upon all of the stuff, all of the things that discourage us. And the biggest discouragement, quite often, can be people. And so that's why God says, where's the battle fought? Where is the battle fought? It's fought between our ears, in our mind. And we have been given the word of God to guard our hearts and minds. The peace of God guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Circumstances may discourage us. People may oppose us. They may misunderstand us. But we have in Christ all the spiritual resources to win the battle. Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Can you finish this phrase for me? Through him who loved us. And that is the theme that runs throughout scripture of how much love God has for you. Now, David ends the psalm with all of this in mind. And he said, Father, search me, O God, and know my heart. It's interesting. As you look at the psalm, it begins with searching and it ends with searching. The psalm has come full circle. As you remember how the psalm began, 
began with God searching our hearts. And now here, David is praying, God, search my heart. And you think, well, that could be a scary prayer to pray. <laughs> Not really, because God knows our hearts anyway. And David is saying, Father, search my heart. Show me if there's something within me that I need to know about. Father, I'm troubled about the person who's causing me anxious thoughts, is what David is saying. But then he goes on and he says, but show me something, Father. Is there anything in me that's causing someone else anxiety? Ooh, that's different, isn't it? Yes, people can cause us anxiety and troubled hearts. But in turn, what is David saying? He said, Father, search me. Am I causing someone else anxiety? And a troubled heart. Show me if there's anything hindering the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's a prayer we can pray. And like I said, it takes courage to pray that prayer, but I think it's biblical. God has offered us tremendous help with our thought life, even when it comes to people and how to think about them. So let me give you a couple things to think about. If you want to be loved, don't criticize those. You want to love you. And if you want long friendships, develop a short memory. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Just think about your position in Christ and how often God has forgiven you in Christ. And then in turn, be tender-hearted one toward another. That's a very good prayer to pray, David. Search me and know my heart, O God, and show me if there's any wicked way in me. He also said, try me and know my anxieties, which is interesting. And what he's saying is, show me, Father, where I'm being anxious and where my mind is not focused on you. I need to know that, Father, so that I know that you can help me overcome that. We are promised his divine power to demolish our mental strongholds. I talked about this in the first lesson. I pulled it out of 2 Corinthians 10.4 because we can have mental strongholds about people. We can have preconceived notions about people uh, in our church, in our place of work, in our families, and then that can become a mental stronghold where we aren't allowing Christ to work in our lives to work in their lives in turn. And so a stronghold is a thought pattern that forms a fortress around the mind, holding it to faulty thinking, even when it comes to how we think about people in our lives. And too often our problems are too much with us so that the invisible and the internal are quite forgotten. I don't know what people you have in your life. I know the people in my life. And God has placed those people in your life for a reason. He's put those people in your life, not just to minister to them, but also to find out more about yourself. Also to examine our own hearts. Isn't that true? To find out, Father, am I tenderhearted toward this person? Am I compassionate toward this person? Am I forgiving toward this person? You see so much of yourself, if you will, in your relationship with others. And quite often, what we are at home, that we are indeed. What we are at home, that we are indeed. And quite often, our environment, our interactions with those in our family and, and our friends are a great reflection on our relationship with the Lord. And so the Lord, in his loving kindness, shows us these things. And we say, well, like David did, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for searching my heart 
Thank you for showing this to me. I appreciate that. In fact, he also wrote another psalm, and I encourage you to read this. It's Psalm, read the entire Psalm 103. It's a lovely psalm of gratitude. And I pulled a few verses from this psalm, and it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Notice this next part. For he has done, what kind of things for us, ladies? He has done great things. May I forget not all his benefits. We so easily forget. We so easily forget all the benefits that we have in Christ. We all so easily forget the spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places in Christ. We so easily forget our position in Jesus Christ. We so easily forget the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. So choose to be thankful that God gives you opportunities to show compassion and love to those who don't deserve it. Or at least in your terms, they don't deserve it. And yes, people can make us anxious, just like they did with David. But yet we can build into our life the rhythm, I like to call, of thanksgiving. Creating a neural pathway that says, In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See how personal scripture is? It always brings us back to you. It brings back to us. And the more you think about your great God and his goodness, the more it affects your emotions and you can function in a healthier way in your relationships with others. So in the disappointments of life, especially when it comes to people in your life, there are only two choices you have. You can choose to trust God and have peace and rest, or you cannot trust God and be utterly confused and miserable for the rest of your life. We live in a fallen, broken world. Things happen, bad things happen. It goes all the way back to Adam's sin in the garden. People get sick. People have relationship issues. People experience loss, like those in Florida when Hurricane Ian ripped lands and houses apart. During the days of uh, Hurricane Ian, I watched many hours on the Weather Channel with great interest and great concern because my daughter and family live in Florida. And in fact, my grandson lives in Fort Myers. And he's a student at the university there. And I prayed that Phoenix would be protected. Uh, He would send videos from his second floor apartment and there would be pictures of the flurry of the hurricane right outside his window. Yet in the center of the hurricane, there's the eye. And that is a place of calm and quiet. Now thankfully, Phoenix and the family came through uh, well Uh, just outside damage to the home and and yard and such. But just like hurricanes, sometimes our lives can be blown apart this way and that. We lose our bearing. We are helpless in the midst of our hurricane. You fill in the blank what your hurricane might be. We feel like we're being tossed to and fro. Yet in the eye of the hurricane, there's quiet, and it's the peace of God. Move in to the center of your hurricane where you'll find calm. The Lord Jesus Christ is there. He's the great I am. He is the tranquility in your storms of life. Look to him and not the people and the problems that are around you, swirling around you. Now, hurricanes of themselves are not good, but we can choose to see Christ's presence with the eye of faith in the midst of our storm in the midst of the people and the problems that's swirling around you. Let God give you spiritual eyes to see his love and care of you. 
God only asks one thing of you, and that is to faith rest in him. That's not something you do on the outside. It's something you do in your mind, that hidden person of your heart. God is waiting for you to trust him. And as we look at Psalm 139, and we look at our great God and how much he loves us, thinks about us, and cares for us, why wouldn't we trust him? Why wouldn't we? And God, uh, David ends, uh, excuse me, the prayer with these words. Notice verse 24b. He says, lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus Christ is the way everlasting. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So no amount of good works, religious ceremonies, Costly gifts will gain you entrance to heaven. Jesus Christ is the way planned from eternity by the eternal God leading to our eternal home. And I pray that you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can have the assurance when you die that you will be led to the way everlasting. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to wait until you enter heaven to get to know God your Heavenly Father. You can know him today and you can receive from him the spiritual help that he gives you every single day and remind yourself of how much he loves you, he cares for you, and his thoughts of you are more than the sands of the oceans and seas and that's while you're sleeping. And his thoughts of you continue while you're awake. Does that not make you feel protected and loved and cherished by him? and so incredibly important to him and special. It makes you want to go, and like I said, and walk with a spring in your step and say, I am a child of the king. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love for me. Ladies, we cannot have an imaginary God. We have the word of God so we can know the God of the word. So may you remember all of these qualities of Psalm 139 and how they intersect so personally with your life. Go over Psalm 139 frequently and remind yourself of God's thoughts of you and what God thinks about you. And make a big part of your thinking how much he cares. He's always, always thinking about you. And our Savior never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just, he is just as faithful today as he was in David's day. And all of this, as I read Psalm 139, I say, I agree with you, David. And I can conclude that how precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your loving kindness toward us. Thank you so much, Father, for our salvation in Christ. Thank you so much, Father, for our position in Christ. And thank you so much, Father, that you care for us every second, even before we were born. Your thoughts toward us are so precious. And these women, Father, here are precious to me. And you know, Father, their needs, you know their situation, you know their circumstance, you know the people in their life, Father. And I'm just trusting you with all of that knowing that you will work together for good all those things in their life. Thank you, Father, for this church and the opportunity we have to have this women's Bible study. 
And I just pray, Father, now you would use this time together and your word to touch hearts and lives. For it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.